Well, this past January and February, uh, we had a sermon series on uh, workplace theology. We called it Faith at Work. And the goal was to, to begin learning how to think biblically about the work that we do. And for our purposes, we define work as the main thing you do every week, whether you get paid for it or not. So if you go to the office, an office or the, the job site, or you go to a classroom, uh, obviously, and you get paid for it, that is your work. Uh, if you stay home and you take care of, of children, you raise them, teach them, that would be your work. If you're a student and you're preparing for the rest of your life, uh, going to class, doing assignments, uh, that whole, that whole regimen, that would be your work. Uh, if you're retired, your work could look a lot of different ways. Uh, I've known some who would say that my work, my main work, the main thing I do in retirement is pray. Pray for people, for God's will to be done. Uh, others spend their retirement years mentoring others. Uh, I asked a couple in the church uh, who, who are retired uh, how they think about their work. It's very insightful, very, very purposeful. Uh, among other things, their work involves volunteering in organizations around town. And so they serve and they intentionally engage in conversations. They'd say as well, their work involves hospitality, welcoming people into their home for a meal or for an overnight stay. Uh, another aspect of their work involves encouraging their 10 grandchildren, very intentional, spiritually and personally building into the lives of their grandchildren. And so they're very purposeful about this season of their lives. Uh, I've got a friend uh, who realized that her work during this season of her life is to get well. She has spent about a year going to treatments and resting and taking care of herself. Not the assignment she really wanted from God, but that's the main thing she, she's been doing during this past year. So that is her work. And so if you've not thought deeply about your work or it's not obvious what your work is, uh, I would strongly encourage you to spend some time and, and become clear on that. And since this is such a, a vital part of our lives and, and our walk with God, we're going to return to this topic periodically, uh, probably twice, twice a year anyway. And today we're going to look at, at a couple of scriptures, one from the Old and one from the New Testament, that give us a perspective about time, how we use the limited, finite amount of time that we have on this earth. And we're going to take that perspective and then apply it to the time we spend in our work. But first, I want to give a two-minute synopsis of what we talked about earlier in the year, uh, workplace theology. And so what we saw from Genesis is that we were created to work. We weren't, we weren't given work uh, after the fall as a curse, but we were actually given work to do before the fall. After the fall, uh, workers are sinful, and work becomes toilsome. It's difficult, and so work is radically changed. But we saw that through the gospel, uh, we are changed in our approach to work uh, changes also. And so we can come into our work very purposefully as a way to serve God. And this is what Paul said in, in Colossians 3.23. And he was not talking to people who had their dream job, okay? He's talking to slaves in this passage. And he said this, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. 
And so out of devotion to Jesus, they were to work from the heart, not just go through the motions. And so they served Christ through the work that they did. And we also see we not only serve Christ, but we also serve our neighbors. We love our neighbors through the work that we do. We bring uh, meaningful service and, and products that uh, promote the common good and human flourishing. And so with that basic understanding of work, I want us to consider a couple of scriptures this morning uh, that talk about a perspective on time, and we'll apply these scriptures to the topic of work. First of these is Psalm 90, and this is a psalm written by Moses, and Moses pleads with God, and he says, teach us to number our days. And then he says, confirm for us the work of our hands, uh, the work of our hands. And so this psalm gives us a really a priceless perspective on our mortality, the reality, the, the certainty that we will die. And the tendency in this life is to compare ourselves to other people. We compare our looks, we compare our wealth, we compare our status, we compare our family, all these things. But Moses says, if you're really wise, you're going to compare yourself to God. You're going to compare yourself to him, not for the purpose of self-condemnation, but for the purpose of wisdom. If we really want to be wise in this life, we need to see, see ourselves in comparison to God. Specifically, in the first half of this psalm, Moses reflects on how eternal and permanent God is and how time-bound and transitory, transitory humanity is. And so I'll summarize the first half of this psalm this way. He says this of God. In verse 1, he says, God is our refuge in all generations all down through the generations. If you were with us a few weeks ago when we looked at Psalm 2 and the introduction to the book of Psalms, uh, you'll remember that this blessing was pronounced. How blessed is everyone who takes refuge in him. And so down through the ages, God has been our refuge. In verse 2, he says, from everlasting to everlasting, God has been uh, since before the mountains were formed. In verse 4, he says, the passing of a thousand years, what's that like to God? Well, it's like yesterday to us. By contrast to God who is eternal and permanent, Moses says this of humanity, when we die, we return to the dust. Verse 5 and 6, our lives are like a dream or they're like the grass which withers and fades. In verse 9, he says, he says the end of our lives is like a sigh. It is that anticlimactic. In verse 10, he says, we live 70 years. If we're really strong, we live 80 years, and then we're gone. Then we fly away. And you may remember Moses' experience, his experience uh, or observations here are informed by his experience of God in the wilderness. For 40 years, they experienced God in his provision, but they also, they also experienced the fury of God's wrath. And so Moses experienced God's wrath because of his own sin, God's discipline and his judgment. And Moses experienced the painful consequences of the sins of the people. Listen to verses 9 through 11. I've mentioned some of this already. He says, for our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. 
yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? And I doubt many of us would doubt Moses' conclusion about our mortality, about how our, our days on earth are relatively few and they're full of pain and they're full of struggle and hardship. And so I doubt many of us would, would argue with that. But what's our response? At this point, many of us may be, well, just throw up our hands and say, what's, what's the point? Why even try? Moses says, your, your response, if that's your response, it could not be farther from the truth. He says, because our days are so few, that makes them precious. That makes them, them, them all the more valuable. And so Moses has this petition in verse 12. So, in light of our frailty, in light of our mortality, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Moses wanted God to teach him and his community how to number their days because they wanted to walk in wisdom and not in foolishness. If they genuinely learned to, to treat each day as precious because life is so brief, then they would have a heart of wisdom. And this way of viewing time on earth informs the petitions that we find at the end of Psalm 90. Now, I want us to consider these now. Uh, Moses first asks that we would see and understand the Lord's work, meaning the work, the, the things that God is doing in our midst. In verse 16, he says, let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. And so he says, God, we don't want to just stumble through life kind of oblivious to everything you're doing in our midst. No, we want them to appear. We want to recognize them. And we want the, fur, the, the, the upcoming generations uh, to see that you have a track record of faithfulness. And so we want to see your work. And then in the next verse, he has a petition about their work, the work of our hands. He says, we want to see the things that we do during our short time on earth count. We want to see them matter. And so in verse 17, he says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. To confirm means to establish. It means to make firm. It means to make stable. And so they didn't want to look back on their lives and they didn't want it to show, they didn't want it uh, to have nothing to show for it. And this is expression, the work of someone's hands, it occurs 74 times in scripture. 70 of those are found in the Old Testament. Sometimes it refers to idols as the work of men's hands. Sometimes it refers to the, the work of God's hands. In uh, Psalm 102, for example, it says, the heavens are the work of your hands. But here it refers to the efforts of the believing community. And so the request is, God, show us your favor, pour out your favor upon us so that the work of our hands matter, so that it counts for something, so that we make an impact in the lives of others. And so when he talks about the work of our hands, he's talking very comprehensively. This doesn't only talk about work as we're, we're talking about it, considering it this morning, but it certainly includes the work that we do. Uh, 
And I think that's obvious. We've got a graphic here that we used earlier in the year. Now, this is kind of an ideal work week. And so the, uh, it's okay if you can't read the, the, letter, the, the text there. But the, the green uh, refers to a typical work week. This is not my work week. Don't judge me, but I work on Sundays, okay? But this is the typical work week, Monday through Friday, the best hours of your week. The purple represents the, your, your time investments in uh, explicitly spiritual activities. And so worship on Sunday morning, meeting with God through the week in the morning, and then maybe you have a life group or a group that you meet with on a, on a weeknight. And so it would be strange indeed if God said to you, what really matters as a disciple of Jesus is the purple. But the green, yeah, don't worry about that. You just need to earn a paycheck. That would be strange indeed, right? So the purple matters. We should be worshiping. We're glad you come to worship. Hopefully this is valuable. Hopefully you leave with a fresh vision and, and better equipped to walk with God through the week. And your personal time with God, it absolutely matters. We draw near to God in prayer and in the word. Then your, your times of, of concentrated fellowship with a community of believers, it's essential but the green represents the best hours of your week. That's where you apply everything else that you learn. And so we have to learn how to walk with God during, during those times. And so based on Psalm 90, we pray to God, God, teach us to number our work days. Show us your favor so that our work counts for something. We want our work to promote the common good. We want to serve people through our work. We want those without Christ to see him in us and in the way we do our work. And I think we just naturally, instinctively want this. None of us wants to say, yeah, I want my work to count for nothing. No, we want it to matter. And so that's our petition because we're convinced that God gives us meaningful work as a way to serve him and as a way to promote the common good. Teach us to number our days. When we come to the New Testament, we have a passage in Ephesians 5 where Paul says he speaks about making the most of our time for the days are evil. You may remember that Ephesians breaks down very cleanly in, in terms of the first half and the second half. The first half talks about, Paul describes the grace that has been lavished upon us in Christ. He says we were dead in our sins, but God made us alive and he lavished upon us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We come to the second half and Paul says, therefore, in light of this salvation, uh, he says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, worthy of your salvation. And here in Ephesians 5, Paul writes that one aspect of living consistent with our salvation involves making a clean break with our past. We used to be in darkness. We walked in darkness, but now that we're in the light, we should be awake and we should walk as children of light. And when we come down to verse 15, Paul addresses how we spend our time as children of the light. And when we read these verses, we almost get the impression, Paul, did you just read Psalm 90? Have you been, you've been listening in on Moses' petition? And he says, in light of the fact that we should walk in the light, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. 
So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is the eighth time in the book of Ephesians that Paul mentions how we should or shouldn't walk. When he talks about walking, he's talking about our behavior. He's talking about the the whole flow of our lives. And his, his concern here is that we understand what God wants and understand what God expects of us so that we don't live in a way that's foolish. As you see throughout Scripture, there's two paths. There's the path of wisdom and the path of foolishness, uh, the path of God's will and the path that takes anything else. And so like Moses before him, Paul understood that we are responsible to cultivate wisdom and let it guide our lives. Therefore, Paul writes, be careful how you walk. And it's talking about intentionality. It's talking about being mindful of how we live our lives. It says instead of just living by trial and error and hoping that we end up somewhere that's desirable, he says, be careful how you walk. Be very deliberate about how you live. Specifically, Paul writes, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Paul could have used a word for, for time uh, that was chronos that talks about quantity of time. He said the make the most just wring every bit of, of productivity out of every minute and every hour you have. But he didn't use that word. Uh, he used a word that talks about kind of quality of time or opportunities that our time affords. And so some translations say um, redeeming the opportunities or making the most of every opportunity you have. And so the idea that, that he gives here, the sense he gives that we should fully utilize every opportunity we have to do God's will here and now. The opposite would be to squander the opportunities we have, just blow through life oblivious. Here's an opportunity to do God's will. But we say, yeah, I'm busy. I'm off to something else. And so again, understand, Paul isn't advocating this type of frantic urgency where we, we just, again, just, just all that matters is productivity in every minute of every day. When you read Jesus about Jesus in the gospel, you don't get the sense that Jesus was ever frantic. So the urgency he's talking about here is the urgency of not missing the opportunities that God gives us to do good. And so that applies in a very comprehensive way. But for our purposes today, I want to apply to our work. And certainly it would include that we are mindful of the opportunities uh, to do good in our work. Why such urgency? He says, because of the days are evil. Uh, Simply an acknowledgement that in the drama of Scripture, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, we're living after the fall and before all things are made new. So we're living in a time when evil reigns, when evil is prevalent. And so there's evil in our world. If we're not careful, there is evil within ourselves. In Galatians 1.4, Paul said that Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Over in Ephesians 6, Paul urges to put on the full armor of God that we might resist and stand firm in the evil day. And so the days are evil. Okay, if we do nothing, we will get caught up in that evil and, and we, will be, we will be formed by it. But the reality that evil is around us and sometimes within us demands that we make the most of our time. Basically, that we not waste our lives. 
There is good that God wants to do in us and through us. And this would certainly include the good that we can do through our work. Well, on Tuesday, the, the pastoral staff, we go out to, to eat the first Tuesday of the month. So you might see us all out in full force somewhere. We went to this uh, fast food restaurant this week. I think it was because there's this, this new chicken sandwich that everybody, uh, everybody wants to try. And it was packed. I mean, it was packed. It was like a, a lobby for an, getting ready to board an airplane or something. But uh, something went terribly wrong in the kitchen, and uh, it took 45 minutes to get our, our food. And uh, uh, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about what would it be like to work at those cash registers? There was a young woman and a young man working there. And I'm like, man, if you were, if you were doing your work that day, Things could have gone very differently depending on your mind and what your, your will is. I mean, if you, if you weren't careful, I mean, it could go bad in the things you say and the attitude you have. You could get frustrated. You might even say some impatient and unkind things to customers, to your coworkers. But what if, it was, what if it were you working at that cash register? How might you redeem the time? Would you recognize here's a God-given opportunity to act like a Christian, like a follower of Christ. I can think of a dozen scriptures that would apply. What about not returning evil for evil or insult for insult? I'm suspecting some insults were flying up there toward the, the uh, counter. But what if you were, had a will to give a blessing instead? What if you resolved, I'm going to be a peacemaker in this situation instead of making things work worse? And so each of us has to figure out in our own work, what are the opportunities that God gives us? We need to recognize those opportunities and make the most of them to do his will in that context. And this is really, really an ongoing process. It requires thought and prayer and discussion. And we hope that our teaching from the front is helpful, but there are aspects of your work that only you understand. There are aspects of your work I don't even know about, okay? And so it's, it's really your responsibility to figure out how to honor God through your work and how to make the most of the time, the opportunities that you have in your work. And so in our time remaining, I want to let you know about three opportunities at Faith that we hope will help you learn to number your days and will help you learn to redeem the time that you have in your work. The first opportunity is, is to form uh, workplace affinity groups. And so what we're doing is we want to, to organize, and we're just going to organize them and then turn them loose. But these are groupings of people in the same, same field or the same cluster of, of, of uh, fields. And you might get together once a month or possibly twice a month. And the main purpose is to apply various aspects of workplace theology to your specific context. So these are other people that know the stresses and the strains. They know the, uh, they might be able to help you recognize the opportunities you have to honor Christ in the workplace. And together you can, can learn to number your days and make the most of every opportunity. So we currently have exactly one affinity group up and running. And here's a, here's a flyer for it. This is the design affinity group. We've got a little closer shot of that. It's okay if you can't read it. But this is a, uh, the focus of this affinity group is, is on designing buildings, okay? So it's about eight people, architects, engineers, and interior designers. And so they meet together, and they're, they're meeting together twice a month. And they're, they're talking about 
issues related to discipleship in that specific discipline. And so they'll be able to talk with each other intelligently and helpfully in ways that really only they might recognize. And so I think you might, might uh, see how this could be incredibly valuable for you in your work and in your discipline. And so uh, on the back of your connection card, you can sign up for one of these. And I have no idea if 20 of you will sign up or 200 of you will sign up, but the, the the, opportunity, the possibilities are endless. There might be a teaching affinity group at different levels, maybe one for preschool, one for elementary, one for high school and, and uh, middle school, or university, college uh, faculty. Could be a group for entrepreneurs. Uh, could be a group for small business owners. Could be military groups, one for officers, one for enlisted, perhaps one for civilian employees. Uh, could be medical groups, nurses, doctors, technicians. Uh, could be a group for those that do administrative work. Uh, could be various parenting groups for kids of different ages. Uh, could be groups for retirees. Uh, could be groups for those that are anticipating their retirement. And you want to get ahead of it. And you say, okay, how can I prepare so that my, my work in my retirement years will be the most purposeful? But if you're interested, check the box on the back of this and tell us what your occupation or your field or just really what type of group you might be interested in and we'll be in contact with you. The second opportunity involves workplace mentoring. And this is a, this is a project where we would pair up a person who's preparing for a career with someone who is already established in that career. And so if you're studying elementary ed, you might be paired with a, a third grade teacher. Somebody has 10 years or 20 years of experience. If, uh, if you're wanting to pursue a career in building trades, you might be paired with a contractor who, who has experience. And we're currently doing a pilot program. We, we aren't able to go churchwide till uh, next fall. But we've got a pilot program with 10 K-State seniors and 10 mentors. And they're reading a book together. It's a, it's a book by Tom Nelson called Work Matters. And they meet and they discuss what they're, what they're learning. The mentor invites the student into their workplace and into their home. And, uh, and they, they just share their lives. And the goal is to prepare them uh, for the transition from college to the working world and uh, with a basic understanding of workplace theology. And so this is a pilot that will last till next April. So if you're graduating in, in May and uh, you're just dying to do something like this, uh, talk to me offline and we may be able to, to work something out. But we'll go churchwide uh, next fall. The third opportunity is something you've heard about before. It's called, uh, we do workplace visits. The pastoral staff does workplace visit. We also call this uh, take your pastor to work day. And so this is, if, if, if it's appropriate, it's not always appropriate. If you're a therapist, you don't want, you know, oh, that, by the way, that's my pastor sitting over there in the corner. But there are many occupations. It's, it's appropriate. Invite us and we'll come and we want to see what you do. We want to we learn. We want to hear from you how you understand that you serve Christ through your work. Uh, what are the tensions as a believer in your workplace? How can we pray for you? 
And so again, check the, the box on the back of the card. We've had a fantastic time with this. Uh, there's a, a photographer in the church who has a contract with this agency that oversees NBAF. And so once a, once a month, he gets in a plane out at the airport and he, they buzz around the NBAF a couple times and he takes photographs just to document the, the, the uh, progress that's made on the building. That was fun. It was also cold uh, up there. Uh, we've gone to a lot of lectures at K-State and uh, heard about all sorts of fascinating topics. It is fascinating, the expertise and the competence that people have that we don't even know existed. Uh, last spring, I did a, there were like five RAs that, that invited me to come to uh, eat at Kramer. That is like a cruise ship. I'm just telling you, my college experience was not like that. So went to Kramer, walked around Weefald Hall. Uh, it was just, just fascinating. So if you'd like for us to do a workplace visit, depending on how many of you sign up, uh, it might be several months before we, we get to you, but we're each committed to doing one a month, so uh, they'll add up. And so these are opportunities, and uh, this is an ongoing process. Our work is the best hours of our week, and so we have to honor God uh, during those hours. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would teach us to number our days, teach us to count precious every single day that we have. We think about the hours that we spend at work. And God, we do want our work to count. We want these hours to count. God, we want to be people that live consistent lives in every aspect of our lives, including our work. God, we pray that these initiatives, these uh, workplace affinity groups and this mentoring project and the workplace visits, that they would all be significant. They would all build into this, this growing understanding of how we can serve you through our work. And God, we want to, to represent you well in every area, every aspect, every demographic in Manhattan, and every segment of our society. And God, you've placed us in some, some places where we have uh, contact with people that, that just otherwise we wouldn't. And so we pray, God, that we would recognize the opportunities that we have. Even this week, we pray that we would recognize opportunities in, in new and fresh ways. So God, we commit ourselves to you. We're eager to learn. God, would you teach us everything we need to know. May this be an adventure for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.